Welcome to the Flower Hour Podcast, the podcast where conversations blossom. It is your boy, Sean Flores. If you love this podcast and you've really enjoyed it, please share, subscribe and follow and look forward to the journey we will be going on. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Good evening to everybody there. You're locked in to Flower Hour, episode four. Today, I'm going to be having Lavinia on from the Black Curriculum. So I'm really, really excited. It's a conversation that I think is, has, it has such a great relevance in a time like this. So I hope you most importantly that you enjoy. And um, if you have questions, make sure you send in your questions. So hopefully she'll be able to see this. I've just sent it to her. Hope you've seen it. Get ready. We're going. Perfect. Let's go. Hello, Lavinia. How are you? Hi, I'm well. How are you? I'm good. I just had some food. I've been throwing um, a frisbee for the last three to four hours, so my body is is, is exhausted. Trust me, in this heat, it's so hot. But but the heat is beautiful, don't you think? I don't know. I feel like it's nice to look at and like see, but it's yeah. so and it just makes me feel like really like tight and sticky and stuff. But yeah, it's nice yeah. to have. No, but I think, I, I suppose in my head, the heat is a metaphor for the conversation that's hopefully about to ensue. Matting. Let's go then. <laughs> Let's go. But yeah, I wanted, um, obviously, for you to introduce yourself to my, uh, my audience because I've shown some of your work. So yeah, I'll let you introduce yourself so everyone knows who you are. 
Okay, okay. So thanks for this platform. Um, my name is Lavinia. I'm the founder and director of the Black Curriculum. And I'm a writer. I really enjoy um, just really just reading and writing on narratives that center um, self-development, also um, understanding your history. I think it's really key that each of us in this country and just the world as black people, we understand our identity um, and are able to connect with it in, um, yeah, in ways um, allow us to really just embrace the fullness of opportunities that are out there. So yeah, that's okay. a little. And um, how did you get involved with the work you do with um, the Black Curriculum? So I'd say like, like every kind of stage of my life, there was like a point where I was moving forward to like more knowledge of this. Um, not even like in a way where I was cognizant that I was going to learn Black history, but I'd say like the experiences that I went through um, definitely like made my passion greater for education it made my passion greater for black history particularly so um i feel like the catalyst happened when i was in new zealand and oh, um okay over in new zealand i went to study um indigenous land rights um that was like my initial kind of like course but then it kind of developed into learning more kapahaka and also like maori culture as well and i was just like this is mad like this is just so important because um, I don't know if you know about the history of New Zealand, but similarly to like other colonized countries, like they were colonized yeah. by the British and like their land was stolen and it's still kind of like, it's, it's still in a place where they're unable to have full um, claim over their lands, right? So for me, it was just being in a, a new context, but still the same kind of struggles of like colonialism, erasure, um, just like, just miseducation just more generally and for me that was really like it was really powerful to see Maoris engage in their history um be very proud of it but also recognize that it needs to be done from an earlier age so I was just like say less like I remember being in the lecture hall like right in my plan like when I come back to London I'm gonna do this curriculum stuff and I'm gonna make sure that our histories are taught and I, d I was just chatting like I'm not gonna lie I remember doing one presentation and um I think one of the questions was about like what are you going to do when you like when when you finish this class I was like yeah I'm going to go back to the UK and at this point I didn't have nothing but I was just talking into existence like yeah I want to go ah, I'm going to have this curriculum that's like Black history is focused. Um, so anyway, took that back to the UK, um, made sure that I connected with like specific individuals that were very aligned with the idea already. So it didn't need to like take much explaining or proving. And um, yeah, I met Bethany and Lisa, who have been with me from the start. And we basically developed um, the syllabus that is now the basis of the Black curriculum, my baby. Um, and yeah, like that's, that's how it started. Yeah. Wow, that, 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 that's a powerful journey and what you manifested has come into real life and obviously I want to work in the Black Curriculum because it's something that um, I've been speaking about for years. Um, it's work that I didn't really promote on Instagram but I think what's happened now with the George Floyd and with COVID, it's made having a Black-centred curriculum for a British context all the more important. And um, I wanted to ask, so you're one of the co-founders alongside someone else, if I'm correct? I'm the founder and I had people help me to develop oh, stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you're the, you're the direct founder. Yeah. And so this I want to ask you, as a founder, what is your vision for the Black curriculum, especially in the current context that we're living in? Yeah. So for me, it's really important that every young person knows 
their history and I'm talking about people I think it's key and absolute um it's of absolute importance that black people know their history but for me it's really really key that everyone knows more accurately what Britain is right I yeah. think there's so much there's so much kind of like ways in which history has been mis misconstrued and taught in a way where ultimately like we're disempowering young people because we're presenting them lies about what the, the benefits quote-unquote of the British Empire were um you know not really detailing the whys as for us it's um that all young people are fully empowered through and that's the vision it's the broader vision that yeah history is a tool to awaken um yeah to awaken your you know the, the things that are in you and i think like if young people are able to connect with that see themselves as relevant in the society they can then go forward and do much more um because it's about opening that jar and i think without when we're closing the lid with lies it definitely just manifests in many different ways and we see that we see it every day i've seen it for myself personally we probably have like family members or even ourselves have all experienced ways in which we've been marginalized ways in which we have experienced um the erasure of the Feel like that follows you throughout life so if we can basically bring people into a place where um we're giving them the full truth full accuracy of british history um but more black, black more generally um i think that gives us a sense of like purpose so yeah and i think we would both agree that british history is over romanticized it's devoid of truth um and it nourishes the individuals especially the white british population on the idea that they're national heroes were heroes when in fact many of them were nourished on the bedrock of um, destroying black bodies and slave trade and so on. And I wanted to ask you, as you said, that um, people are not truly empowered, they're disempowered by the curriculum. How do you think a black curriculum could empower especially the black population, but also the wider population that we are in contact with? Yeah, I think currently the current curriculum, what it does, it it's under or rather what the function of it is underpinned by a sense of like nationalism that is focused on a very specific kind of nationalism that is Britishness this idea that like you know whiteness is superior anything other is below that and like that is born out of Eurocentric ideology so for us it's about not just providing black history as a replacement but being able to engage in in other narratives that aren't Eurocentric and giving black people's ideas um thoughts, contributions, the space to flourish. And what that does, it allows young people and also adults as well to really critically analyze the world. Um, and I think that opens up a breadth of opportunities. It allows young people and also um, to fully just engage with the structures that we have, dismantle them and provide more, um, yeah, provide more creative solutions to the world that we have. Because like, I think once you've, once you've understood that you've, you've been living a lie, you now take the steps to, you know, I mean, like unfold that. So I think it's really important that um, a black curriculum is, is not only just like black history as a replacement um, tool, but as a, a mechanism that like allows people to really just like indulge um, and bring up different narratives. So, yeah. Let me just move because my signal is acting up a little bit. Let me just go. There into, is. Let me go into one of my other rooms. Okay. Um, one second, I'll come back. My signal is... Okay. All right, can you see me?
I can see you, I can hear you. All right, your screen looks black. I can't see anything. Yeah, I don't know what happened there. <laughs> can, but you can see me, right? I can see you. Yeah, that's weird. Well, hopefully everyone can still see you. If... Oh. oh, okay, perfect. So, <laughs> so we understand that um, the current system that we have is very much from a Eurocentric lens and that the black British population makes up um, 3% of um, the population in England and has such a, a major impact on the everyday experience, the contributions. We've seen how the, this hostile environment with Windrush um, spoke a lot about the history that we haven't challenged, um, especially in Britain. How can the black curriculum force the British government or the people around them to challenge their own narratives when they've been told a lie for so long? Because people are going to be quite resistant, naturally. How do you see change coming about? It's a great question. I think, like, when you're presented with knowledge that you're not used to or you haven't kind of, like, engaged with before, there is apprehension. I think that's just a natural human reaction, like, I've never heard of this. How do I know it's true? And you have questions, like, um, you have questions. And I think, especially with young people, what we see in delivering that content is that they are curious. And I don't feel like curiosity is negative. It's not a negative emotion. It shows that you're actively listening. And I think that's part of the process of um, unlearning. It's part of the process of really being open to um, understanding a more accurate version of history. And like with learning something new, I think that opens up the doors to um, being able to just self-reflect. And I think, again, like that is a critical process as part of the mission of decolonizing if you like like you have to be able to understand and listen and reflect um before you act um so i think yeah naturally you're going to get pushed back we've got pushed back um but we know why we're doing this and so there's always a rationale and we can justify what we're doing um because of the history of it because we see the impacts of that so i think with yeah with the, with the teaching i think it's it's about um providing care and support for those people who are not necessarily there yet and are young and need that like encouragement in their journey but for those that are just like very reactive and that emotion of like curiosity not being the first stage but rather the reaction a negative reaction at that I think it's just a process of allowing them to come to terms with um themselves and like yeah just being patient with the journey because everyone has a starting point and entrance point like for me I'm lucky because it started off quite early I'm not gonna lie and be like I went to Saturday school that wasn't me but I was yeah. had books my mum gave me books I went to SOAS which questionable um but still <laughs> still allows you to like learn history that you don't get your usual um it's near liberal right so it's, i'm not gonna like, separate it's still part of the same structure but i do believe that like i would envision that i had like um lecturers who were of african me our history and that's not something that you get every day so yeah but like we all have our own starting point and it is it is natural to feel like you know, curious, a little bit like confused. Like, I remember feeling like, I, like, why don't I know this? And I felt like I had to know this stuff, especially when there was other white people in my class. Like, like why don't I know my history? Do you know what I mean? And it made me feel a bit embarrassed because it's like, it's something that has been taken from me. Um, and, you know, um, I think it does bring up these emotions, but I think like identifying them and understanding how to work with them is really key because um, it's a process of learning and learning isn't just like taking it in. You're going to have to really that, so yeah. And I think Marcus Garvey best said it. He said that a people without knowledge of their history is like a tree without roots. So, and I think, unfortunately, with a large proportion of the black community, we are trees without roots. And 
that's not necessarily our fault, but now we have the weapons um, to be able to find that. And I think the black curriculum is going to be able to help that. One of my biggest issues is when I've gone to schools, and I think probably you've experienced this too, children are so happy to see a black guy teaching or a black woman teaching. You know, and I think I was reading a lot of research that um, black teachers are cultural mediators for children. So they help to bridge certain barriers. Also, it's important for young black children to see other successful black Sean, I think you're out. I can't hear you at all. Hello? Can you hear me now? I can now? hear you now. Everything you said, I didn't hear at all. So can, can you hear me now? I can hear I feel like we're in lifetime. Yeah, I can hear you. All right, perfect. All right, so I'm going to start the question again. I was saying that we know that upon with research, black teachers act as cultural mediators for black children. We also know with black children, it's important, of, important for them to see successful black role models who are also successful due to the achievements of the mind and not just the body. Because typically when we think about the black experience, it's sports, you know, it's um, music, it's all these different things that don't suggest that we're intelligent enough. And I wanted to ask you, how important would it be to have black teachers to teach a black curriculum? I think it's so powerful to have black teachers um, provide a black curriculum, particularly because you've identified um, representation is <clears throat> really important in that like young people can actually look at like, you know, this is coming, number one, it's coming from a source that I can identify with and therefore um, kind of which is the divide between uh, presentation, information, and, re and reception of that content. But then also, I think, like, it just allows them to kind of visualise things better as well because of that cultural um, reference point. Um, I'm going to say something that might sound weird, but whatever. Um, I think all skin, all skin folk are not kin folk, and I think it's really important that we don't, like, just assume that because someone's black, they are necessarily the best um person to, to deliver this because they might not even themselves have come to a place of reckoning with their own histories um and um identity as well as a black person so i think just like being very careful about that approach is also very important i think it's great that we should um i think it's yeah really great that we should really be able to focus on having black in the workforce and it's a complete problem across from primary school to secondary school there is a lack of black leadership particularly um in like with males um but I think also just realising that the type of black person that we have in those roles is even more Absolutely. crucial. Absolutely. And I think sometimes the call for representation comes at the expense of diversity becomes a number rather than a mentality. Yeah. And I think you've made such a good point that all skin, is it all skin folk is kin folk. Um, so I think I'll take from that point that you won't discriminate based on who wants to teach the black curriculum as long as they're good enough for the role. Yeah, um, and and I think with what that presents, it, it's a juncture between like you may have like Asian people or white people that are very very like keen on this history and then they know it and they come very yeah. empowered. But I think at the same time, it's just there's a balance that 
I do believe that when black people do come to these roles of teaching, they're going all out. They come with their heart, their soul, their mind, they're ready to give. It's a, it's a place of um, being able to pour into the lives of young people. And, um, we're the best people to do that, in my opinion. Um, but I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's something to work and it's not an easy thing to do sometimes. Some people are very good at um, presenting a way in which they are, are interested in this. But, you know, everyone's always coming into this with their own um, thing. Like if, if it's a skill or if it's just, you know, be, being able to kind of just like lift the burden. Like I think everyone is always coming from a very personal place. So with the thing of, of Black history, I think it's yeah, key to weigh the balances up and see what that person stands for as a person. Um, I just want to say to everyone that this is the co-founder of, of the Black Curriculum. So if you've got questions, throw them in the question box. This is a great time to ask questions. So I wanted to ask you as well, um, from you founding the Black Curriculum, just how important have you seen education? Because in my eyes, education is a great leveler. Education is supposed to be the key to freedom, just as much as um, Nelson Mandela said. But at the same time, as you said, and we have a system now where it's all about repeat and retention and redistributing that rather than using it to critically analyze the environment and the society that we live in. How will the black curriculum ensure or look to help the young students critically analyze the world in which they live in, in a wider context? Yeah, so in each of our classes, we make sure that like, we're very honest with young people um, that they can bring their own experiences into the classroom. Um, I think the way in which you've previously taught history is very abstract, it's very connected from the everyday, it's like history happened and we're now here today and today's a new day and there's no kind of like connection between, literally like you think of like the period of enslavement that was literally not too long ago. And I think what we are trying to encourage young people to do is to connect um, events of the past with with today and I think what that allows them to do it allows them to see how patterns have repeated it allows them to see how um you know people around them and people within their circle have um influenced the way that they think right and so what that uh, what the outcome of that is is that there's specific outputs that they can identify and say look if I can take action over for example how I don't know my family um talks about race at dinner time that's something that I can, you know, I can do. Um, and I think, yeah, with, with the content that we're providing, it's not just like, here's history and bye. It's here's history, now shape it. Here's history, now you're involved in that. And I think like that's what allows people to think very critically um, because you have to feel included. You can't just be absorbing things. And Paolo Fria, I love this guy, but he speaks a lot about that depository form of knowledge. It's just like, hey, I'm the teacher. I'm going to give you this wonderful lesson. And um, yeah, here you go suck it all in goodbye and like there's no active like reckoning with the knowledge that you're getting and I feel like you have to give you have to give people a sense of self whenever you're teaching you're not teaching pieces of paper you're teaching live human beings who are acting and act right and um I think it is about like recognizing people's ability to create change um in micro forms macro forms through yeah through giving them information and tangible things to do It's all good? Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. It keeps going. Sorry. It, it was my timer because I, I usually have a timer to get me off um, social media. That's why. So I've oh. I pressed ignore. Um, another question I wanted to ask you. So 
we know individuals such as Akala went to a Pan-African school. And I wrote, recently wrote an article where I wrote about, I believe that black supplementary schools are sometimes the answer and the missing link in the system where young black children are typically left behind, especially the West Indian young male. Africans do really well in the education system. And I wanted to ask you, so I, I've got a lot of questions with putting black history into a national curriculum simply because I don't believe it's something we can always control. Are there any worries that you have with putting the, a, a black curriculum or a black history curriculum into a national curriculum? Because at the same time, you can't navigate every single execution in every single classroom. Wouldn't you feel safer if it was in a black supplementary school and then when you had everyone trained up to send it out to the national curriculum? I think if we had supplementary schools across the country, we wouldn't have to be doing this. Unfortunately, we don't live yet. And like we are reckoning with many schools, although 75% are academies, like the rest of them like still follow the national curriculum. So I'd rather have a curriculum that represents black histories, um, gives, gives teachers the tools, not sorry, yeah, gives teachers the examples um, to actually teach it instead of not having anything there. Um, secondly, I feel like it is a po for me more than anything. It is a policy. It's a symbolic policy move, and I think that sends the message rather than um, the monitoring of it, which is also very important and very key. So I think we can't have one without the other. It's very important that if we are going into the national, have um, something to follow up from that, and there is um, tangible ways in which teachers can engage reflectively with the history that they're getting, because it's not like you know you you go, you go to certain parts of the country, they never heard. Of black people they never heard of you know um anything else but windrush right and windrush for many people yeah. is a new thing um but we've been knowing that there's been black people here in britain so i feel like sometimes it's very very real when we come across um teachers and and also students and this is no discredit to teachers um but what we're dealing with is a society that is ignorant because of the yes. so where do we start in that where do we where do we approach from as I said earlier, it's not a case of just replacing because that replacement could just look as traumatizing um, where we, you know, put a couple figures on the, on the curriculum and, you know, there's just, there's no kind of in, engaging ways that in which they taught it. Um, so I think it's really important that um, there's something else to it. There's research. There's also um, training around that. Um, yeah. Proper pedagogy, not just like, you know, here's your certificate this is the way to teach history and go about your business. How do you continually engage with this? And who are you also connected with? Because teachers also are, um, they're full of ideas, they're full of like ways to come up with new um, schemes of, of how to present knowledge. So I feel like if they're also engaging, we've, yeah, got the, um, yeah, we've, we've got half the job done. I, I think the national curriculum is important because for me it's just policy. I think policy is so key that we have that message from top down that you Absolutely. know we are free, but it's not. It's not. We're not stopping there, and we shouldn't stop there. And that's why the black curriculum is doing more than just for that. It's important, but it's not it. Um, and someone raised a really good point. They said um, anti-racism is going to have to be at the heart of the black curriculum in terms of how the teachers and um, how everybody else reproduces that knowledge. And as you said, the pedagogy of the classroom is key. We need to have active learning and learning that engages students. And when, so when I've gone to schools and I've taught with um, some of my friends, children are hungry for knowledge. I think there's this idea that children aren't hungry for knowledge. Children want to learn. 
it's just the the ways of learning are not adapted to different kind of children and i think einstein said it best if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree you're going to forever think it's stupid right so i wanted to ask you will there be different types of learning and different forms of learning adapted to children who perhaps don't learn in the most conventional way that's a good question it makes me so happy because like i think about my history classes look let me jump in yeah in in my history classes i hated them i loved history but i hated them because the way that yep. was just like so dull it was so dull and like i'm very like outgoing like i'm very shy but very like the way in which i communicate like very dynamic and that's how i receive information so with the black curriculum what we do we teach with the arts so the arts is like a central point of our learning in that young people are encouraged they are encouraged to primarily interact with this knowledge through you know just different forms dance songwriting theater everything right so they're given actual like tools to be able to express themselves to engage and learn um i realized that not everyone is an arts person as well and so for that reason we have also um created like a set of animations um for like audio learners people who want to like you know people that who want to watch videos as well and who pick up information that way so i think like the breadth of resources the more resources we can get the, the better and it's not just about books like there are so many great books on black history i for example i love reading but i'm not like i'm not a reader do you know what i mean yeah. i mean like i feel like there's there's books that i will read but there's like certain books that are so full of information 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 that it's such a put off for many yeah. young people you know what I mean? I feel like if we're really thinking about um, decolonizing, we need to be decolonizing the ways in which the methods and the processes in which we teach. And it's not just like, yeah, as I said, not just black history, like black history, but what what else are you doing to make sure that you're being access, like accessible to many young people? Because, um, yeah, like one of the, the key problems, and I guess like, especially in um, university is the way in which things are marked, right? Um, I don't know if I am, uh, and many people, I'm not just saying me, but I don't know if many people like to write exams. Um, and I feel like if young people were given an opportunity to like express their knowledge in different ways, like just, I don't know, like there's just many ways you could do it. Um, it would give young people better chances of like expressing themselves and being heard as well and feeling that that mode of expression is, is being heard. So like the way in which we, I know this is like a jump, but the way in which we view certain Can you, can you hear me? See me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, yeah, yeah. Thought, sorry, my thing paused. Um, yeah, the way in it's which okay. we, um, yeah, the way in which we view certain like genres, it's not seen as like subaltern. It's it's part of the everyday, and I feel like that's really important. That yeah. it's not like we have like hierarchies of of ways of knowing and learning because like we're different people. Like I hate this idea that like, like, everyone's the same. We're not the same. Yes. Oh. I think the idea that everyone's the same is is it, it's oxy it's an oxymoron because if everyone's the same then we're then we're all different in the same breath. And I think this idea, I find sometimes when people say we're we're all the same, it's a deflectionist argument to the ideas that we actually have different ways to learn, we have different ways to reproduce that knowledge, and there's different ways to disseminate that knowledge. Do you? I'm which I'm sure you understand, and that leads me on to another one of my questions. So. You spoke about university level. So we know that there's a black attainment gap for several reasons. You know, there's cultural factors, there's financial factors, and perhaps there's also educational factors, the way we receive and the way we impart that knowledge that we have. 
So yeah. I wanted to ask you, could the back curriculum be pushed out to children, um, at, to adults at university level? Because my, I, I call it, well, it's an epiphany, but I call it a Negro epiphany because I learned so much. I learned so much. I remember we had like about a week of black sociologists when I learned. And there was something about it that sat with me. There was something where I remember I came back from class and I was so excited and I was excited to share the information, but no one wanted to have that yeah. information. And yeah. from there, I went on that journey and I've never gone back. So I wanted to ask you, if I could feel that joy and if I could feel that happiness, could we put the black curriculum at a, a level for university students? No, that's a, I feel like you're tricking me because I've been talking about decolonizing knowledge and stuff, but at the same time, I feel like the whole reason I started the Black Curriculum was because university is a place of exclusivity. It's a place yeah. where you have to jump through so many hoops, right? We know the stats on ACAS, UCAS. We know how much hoops people have to jump through even to get to university. So should we cater to universities uh, as a first starting point, no. But do I think there's a place for this knowledge to be uh, spread at universities? Absolutely. Like, we need to have um, young people who are going into the world to be reckoning with this knowledge because I've seen way too many times people just go through the, you know, from universities straight in. Like, no, this, no, this. I love my corporate friends. Y'all, yeah. I love y'all. I love y'all. But I've seen way too many times, like, without the knowledge, people just go from one path to the, and there's no reckoning with like what's happening in society. And like, uh, it just seems very, like, everything just seems very disconnected. So I do believe that university is a very key place of like understanding oneself. As you said, you felt that joy, you wanted to do something, you went and actually done something with that. Yeah. That is what we want. We want people, we want to get, it <laughs> sounds bad, but we want to get them at the right place. Yes. Um, and I think for some people that's university, you know, they're coming out from like homes, it's freedom. And then they're grappling with information. And like, that is like the next step into their life and their, their career. Um, but for other young people that could happen at school level. Um, yeah. And as you said, like children wanna learn. So if we're really thinking about the way in which the system is structured, I do feel like university is a good place to, to, to do that learning, but it should not be the starting or end point. Um, yeah. Okay. It, it wasn't a trick question, by the way, it was actually a genuine question and I think perhaps <laughs> it was a personal question because that's when I went on my journey and as I said I haven't looked back since and that's why I reached out to you to do this live and before we were speaking about working together but then obviously COVID yeah. happened yeah. Um, and we both agree that children are hungry for knowledge children want to learn <laughs> and something I also wanted to ask as well in schools, people typically forget that children spend more time in school than they do anywhere else. So, and the brain is a creature of volume and repetition. So whatever you put in the brain is whatever will continue to reproduce and to continue over and over and over and over again. How important do you think it would be to not just have history, but also different forms of subjects that include a Black-centered curriculum within it? So... That could be geography, um, science, that could be um, citizenship, you know, those other subjects as well. So key. It's so key. I like to just hitting the nails on the head because with what we're doing, it's not just about history. Yes, we're focused predominantly on the history curriculum, but ultimately, black history is not 
just again a subject that is to be relegated to a time period it's so vast nuanced and i think with the categorization of subjects and also like i touched on this just in my previous point with like linear career paths and trajectories it's very categorized and we live in 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 in, in a system of yeah like eurocentricity which which ultimately categorizes everything <laughs> and i think it's really important that like within those categories if we're really thinking about liberation and we're thinking about um diversifying our knowledge we need to be existing in different parts of these these categories that we're presented with so um with with primary school and secondary school curriculums with key stage one to key stage four um i think it's really key that we have like representation in music also art with geography because ultimately as you said when people go home these things are reinforced and for some people like the i don't know the stats um but i know it's very low the uptake of um history the history as a subject as gcse yeah. students and like why is that <laughs> why it's is that boring <laughs> it's yeah the delivery ultimately yes number one yeah. is very i also think number two is the way in which um things have just been like very much categorized right so like i think if we were to see more black histories on that we would see more of an uptake um it's yeah I, I personally think that um worth trialing out if anyone wants to do any research but um i do believe that there is more space um for black issues to be embedded in different parts of the curriculum yeah. that aren't because yeah we like we live and breathe everything like right now we're having a conversation some people would argue this is like a this is a way of practicing the english language right and like if yeah. we were to think about ways in which we could bridge um like not just black issues but just black experiences as well into what we're doing it would just make sense like you'd have a reason for things and you'd want to explore it more so yeah um and i think as you said there's different ways of us practicing knowledge you know as you said this is right here is the english english language um i want to ask you so let's say the black curriculum gets put into the schools and let's say it's put into the national curriculum you get what you want what would be the five to ten year trajectory and what would be the the plan that you would have put in place because this is just the beginning i want to see this continue and i know there's black people white people asian people that are on board with what you do so what would be that five to ten year plan that you have in place that we can be reassured that when you get in that national curriculum by the grace of god that is that's not just going to be the end how, we are not stopping at the national curriculum. Let me reassure everyone, like, this is not it. Like, we made a huge hullabaloo about it because it's important for purposes. And I went into that earlier. And, like, I think it really gets to the core of, like, the nation's um, relationship with Britishness. Um, however, in, like, five to ten years, I definitely see this global. Like, this is a global movement. We are anti-capitalist. We are anti-imperial. Um, and I think it's really that every young person from the continent to the Caribbean know their history also the us they know their history very yeah. intimate so this is a global we're global baby. so so you're looking to move from national to global like how the rappers say you know um, 100%. and i wanted to ask you so we again we're synonymous with the belief that history is from a eurocentric lens so i want to ask you what does an afrocentric lens look like because typically we speak about afrocentricity but how do we situate what being afrocentric actually looks like Could, is there because i don't believe it exists in binaries but maybe for some people there 
who need a definition. What does Afrocentric mean to you and perhaps the black curriculum? I think agree with you that there are so many definitions out there and it's very it's a very <laughs> I guess European thing to kind of like follow a definition to be able to understand and believe in it um I believe in like whatever resonates with you resonates with you best and for us like um for I'm speaking on behalf of the black curriculum Afrocentricity is primarily identifying and acknowledging legitimate sources of knowledge African perspectives and histories without kind of coming through a colonial or European perspective. So for example, if we're coming from the understanding that like, you know, Africa, as Joseph Conrad said, was a place of darkness. Yeah. We know that's not true. Um, why? Because an Afrocentric lens really prioritizes um, the experiences of Africans before colonialism, yeah. prior and within colonialism because I think it's also key that we don't just have this romantic romanticized version of history where it's just like we know we have empires and whatever great yes we did but what, what did we do and I think yes. this is where the narratives of the Caribbean really shine through Haiti Jamaica what, yeah. what, no, what happened? we really know what happened with enslaved peoples there um yeah. for maroons but also just um like just icons Sam Sharp Marcus Garvey, all of Nanny. Nothing. There no are one so many. Like... <laughs> there are so many. The guy um... I look up to. Garvey's your guy. Garvey's Love my it. man. I... Well, he started all the movements in America. I think Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, um, Edward, um, all these people, Huey Newton. They it came from Garveyanism, right? And he doesn't get the applause that he deserves. Hundred percent. Yeah, he is the father of Pan Africanism. So Absolutely. it's really important that acknowledge him as that 100% and like give you know give our forefathers the the recognition that they deserve because they put in work <laughs> work real work you, the time where they had no technology and stuff but he was making yeah. moves well it's crazy and I, I wanted to ask you as well typically when we think about black revolutionary leaders we only think about men and perhaps that's the sexism that's rife in black in the black revolutionary community or perhaps it's that's just the uh, popularity. But we also think about the women who are strong in the Garvey movement. We think about the women with Malcolm X who were really strong in the nation of Islam. How important is it to ha also have those female role models spoken about in the black curriculum to also remind black women just how powerful they are and to remind black men of the strength that black women have had and the, black, the strength that they continue to emit? I think if we're talking about colonialism and being anti-colonial and decolonizing, we need to, we need to recognize and prioritize the fact that there is a patriarchy um, and um, yeah, anti just anti um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's just a patriarchy that basically categorizes uh, the importance of lives and experiences. And I feel like with with the work of the black curriculum, it's not just about replicating black histories because, as you know, like men have taken center in those histories themselves from. Malcolm X and uh, Martin Luther King to even here in the UK when we talk about the Bristol bus boycotts we always think of like Roy Hackett and um, Paul Stevenson but we have like Carmen Beckford who were instrumental you yeah. know in this in movements I feel like we need to really prioritize the women um, because they are the carriers of culture they have been <laughs> forefront of these movements they have been literally sacrificing their lives and their dignities to carry black people forward so I think it's really important that we understand the hierarchies and um, we work actively against that to, you know, not replicate the structures of oppression. So 
like a hundred percent um olive morris for me is my icon she represented like feminist empowerment um specifically as a south londoner um and she pull up pull up to pull up she literally does at a young age so i'm just like we have to be able to recognize who these people are give them their dues and not let their names be whacked away so very key and i also said in a previous live um the one author that revolutionized my way of thinking was bell hooks she's to today my favorite author though just the way she looks at the world the way she um explains feminism even if people don't agree with her i think she's easily my favorite author and I wanted to ask, so when we think about Carnival, for example, people forget that Carnival was created by Claudia Jones, and I'm from Trinidad, and um, Claudia Jones was Trinidadian. She um, created Carnival, but whenever we think of Carnival, we only think of Jamaican started it, but it was started by a Trinidadian. And um, Claudia Jones was um, called the left wing or the left hand of Karl Marx. And I wanted to ask you, how important has the black female contribution been to the black British experience? Because as you said, they're the carriers of culture. But I think, do we really underestimate how powerful black women have played a role in the black British narrative? I think we don't underestimate, I think we know. I think we know, but the ways in which we engage with knowledge and knowledge production centers black men specifically. Um, and also white men, like um, I'm sure like in history, like, Okay, so <laughs> I remember reading in my dissertation that there were, uh, when I was doing research for my dissertation, yeah. the narrative in Maroons, the only reason that she was centred was because of her sexuality, right? And that came from a lens of, like, white men uh, narrating history. And I think, like, the thing is that we know that they are carrying culture, but it only makes sense to write about them if they fit within the specific blocks. Yes. You know, created. So, um, yeah, like, to answer your question uh women have like yeah as we know women have taken center stage in this and i think it's really important that specifically in britain um that we narrate these figures um archaeological evidence from roman times to also today um world war one mary seacole um we have plenty examples and the young historians project are doing some great work on um women in the nhs black women in the nhs from 1948 um so i think it's just really important that we understand the um yeah like the women who have done so many things for us um today yeah and i think it's really interesting that you said um mary seacole because she i believe she was the first black woman to have a statue in the uk if i'm correct right um, and when we think of Florence Nightingale, we think of her as the, the mother of all, you know, nursing in the UK. But she actually refused to um, treat black kids, if I'm correct, at one point when she was in Jamaica. Mm. If I'm correct, if I, if I read history correctly, she actually refused. So that's a, a lot of unpacking. And I wanted yeah. to ask you, so with the black curriculum, you're doing so much work by yourself and you have so much power. I want to ask you, are you going to be collaborating with other organisations who also have the black community's best interests at heart? And if so, when can we see those collaborations come to light? It's a great question. So I feel like collaboration is at the heart of what we do. Um, even within our own capacity, we make sure that we are bringing in black women, we are bringing in black men to do this work for us. Um, I think within... Um, Within Britain, it's really important that we are able to uh, share the experiences that we've all had in campaigning for this, because whilst we've been able to gain a lot of like 
uh, recent notoriety for the work we do it's important that we acknowledge that this is not just us like this is decades of work and people have literally been doing this for for years so um last year we did put out some research we made sure that like each of the people who um we refined down we're doing work in research we're doing work in like um his like history um and we kind of got like jason dr jason are to do our uh, report for oh, us he went to um, university did he yeah he's man i text jason all the time i'm trying to get him on a live as well to have a conversation because he wrote an amazing book that i'll definitely recommend as well yeah yeah but isn't it um black men in britannia or something um, I think he wrote one as well, Resisting Higher ed Education, I think, as well, if I'm okay. correct. Jason's incredible. Like, yeah. I think it's really important that, from, like, sectorally, we connect with Black people. Yeah. Um, in grassroots work, we have um, previously reached out to um, a number of organisations um, in this space who are doing similar work to us. Um, we have partnered with um, Every Voice, who are based in Islington, who do a lot of anti-racist work as well. Um, and yeah, most recently, uh, which I'm really excited about, is the Essential Curriculum, which is um, run by a black woman, and it's just reviewing books on black history. So yeah, like we are doing this work, and we are open to collaborating with like black organisations in the space as well. And for people that um, are going to watch this live now and going to watch the live later on or at a later date, how can they come and volunteer with the Black Curriculum? Because um, I'm sure you're going to need a lot of volunteers at the rate, the amount of trajectory you guys have picked up now. Yeah, so if people want to get involved, they just go to www.theblackcurriculum.com forward slash get hyphen involved. And yeah, we'll go from there. So I've got hay fever. It's okay. Hay fever touched me earlier too. Mate, it's a madness. I feel like it happens at night worse. But um, yeah, if people want to get involved, um, there's a direct link to that. And that involves work opportunities in teaching, but also researching and also content creating, because it's important that we are continually um, providing new narratives as well, not just like a narrative um, that, yeah, that has been told many times. So like we're continually reproducing knowledge. I'm really looking forward to the work that um, you're going to do. And I think these kind of conversations give me an intellectual orgasm in the sense of, I think there's so much that can be done and evidently will be done. And I wanted to ask you, in the unfortunate death of George Floyd and racism being such a pernicious social disease, I wanted to ask you a question. Can we ever truly be rid of racism? Do you think that's a possibility or do you think that's a radical fantasy? Do you mean in our lifetime? <laughs> what timeline are we talking <laughs> all right let's say i want you to answer the question however you interpret it i think racism is something that we're always going to deal with if i'm quite honest because like we can never um we can never um be able to how can i say this with yeah with what we have at the moment i do believe that we will never be able to kind of get to the heart of the political establishment as we have it without um, hard work, unity and um, resources, which is something that is happening, but needs to happen at a much faster rate to be able to get there. So I do believe that like it is possible. Um, I'm not like a pessimist at all. I believe change is happening, but um, it's going to take a lot more kind of like infrastructure and coordination. And um, as we have it, we are so invested into the system of like, colonial capitalist like it's eurocentricity it's crazy and like in everything we do we are so embedded within it so and, and that reproduces racism so i don't feel like 
it will be eradicated. I do believe that we can like work towards it. And um, that journey will be filled with loads of hope. But I feel like it's going to be a very long time until it goes. That's just my two cents. And I wanted to ask, so perhaps racism in our lifetime may never go, but the future generations perhaps may be rid of it. How do you see the future for the black community? Um, you said you're hopeful, but if there was a dream that you had for the black community, what would that dream be? I think that one day the diaspora are able to unite again um, and be able to live truthfully outside of the structures that we've created. Um, or oh, sorry, we've uphold, upheld um, and that were created hundreds of years ago. So I do believe that like, yeah, one day, and I do see this, that, you know, we will come together again and be united and, like, fully embrace the differences between each other. Like, it's been 500 years plus coming. Um, and it's time that we all stood together and, like, really just embraced. Yeah, like, I know it sounds really airy-fairy and stuff, but I do believe that, like, we belong together. Literally, Mariah Carey said it first. We belong together. Yeah. I can't sing. Though. I can't sing. I, I'm looking to drop a little R&B Soon come, soon come. But no, um, are there any books you would recommend for people to read um, after listening to this live? Are there any of your favourite authors you would recommend? So you said Oliver Morris. Um, but yeah, are there any books? Are there any um, YouTube videos you would recommend? What would you recommend for people? I'd say, like, uh, first of all, if you want to understand Black British history, I start um, by reading David Olasogos, obviously Black and British, which is a great starting point. Um, dense second, read. Say that gets dense. Yeah, it's dense. It's But it was great though. Like, I really learned so much from it. Um, yeah. And yeah, I just think he's a great historian. Um, also, I would recommend like. Uh, if you want something a little bit more different and like you can actually visually track things, go on Tony Walk. Tony Walker, I believe his name is Walks Black History Walks, because um, yes. you can actually see things and like engage and like it just becomes very real to you. We've done a lot of those tours whilst we were in uni um, during yeah uh, last year and the year before. Um, also, I would say uh, for understanding colonialism and the, the European centre of of how it's upheld. Aim, Aim, Amy Cesare's book, um, Discourse on Colonialism. I feel like oh, I'm just yeah. reading my reading list from last year. I read it um, my masters. It was so good. Literally, like yeah. every time I thought I angered the system, I'm what like, about... yeah, it's a gangrene. Yes, it's a gangrene. <laughs> what about um, France Fanon? Black Skins, White Mask. Black Skin, White Mask. That was definitely awakening for me in my first year. And I felt that like every person, every black person has to read this to understand the psychological impacts of racism, of yeah. race rather. Um, so... I think that's a key read. Um, and also, um, Pedagogy of the Oppressed from an educational point of view. And also oh. Pedagogy of Hope and the Heart. There's like other kind of like books in that. Um, yeah, in, in, in that. I think it's really key to kind of just engage with um, so that we understand like what true liberation in education looks like. Because education is so important. It's for everyone and the world will be dead without educating. So I Absolutely. think it's really important that yeah, we Education's go forward. Education advanced civilizations. Exactly. Like, we cannot have education. We can't have a society that is able to do great things without being educated. It's impossible. So, yeah, everyone has to have that, that opportunity to engage um, and Dude. engage really. Um, I can't believe the time has gone on so quickly. I think 
Um, I want to ask you, hopefully, we're going to have a part two at some point. That'd I be think, lovely. I think it's the conversation people are dying to hear and especially putting my platform and your platform together to centre the amazing work that the Black Curriculum is doing, is continuing to do and will do. So I, I have to say a massive thank you on my behalf for having the conversation with me, making yourself, some, making yourself accessible to even have that conversation because I find... When people pick up certain traction, it's really hard to get them. So I, I got to say a big thank you for the knowledge that you've imparted right now. And that's probably on behalf of a lot of the viewers. I think they're going to take away a lot and to support the work the Black Curriculum's doing. And I think we have like two more minutes left. But if there's anything final that you have to say, I want, I, I want uh, that you can speak for as long as you want. I, I'm, I'm here listening. Thank you. No, thank you for bringing me on this platform. I want to know from you, um, like what you know, what brought you to want to like engage more, like intentionally with education, um, as well. Because I know that you've done a TED talk, which is amazing, by the way. So yeah, like what what brought you to this place as well? Like what was your experience? So I think after my my Negro epiphany, I'm, I'm going to trademark that word, but um, <laughs> after I had that in my second year of university. It made me think about the way I was raised, and my mum is um, my mum didn't really teach me much, but it's not really her fault necessarily. When you think of Black History Month, you think of chains and whips and Martin Luther King, um, his whitewashed speech. Not many people understand that the man wasn't always nonviolent, but Malcolm X, Rosa Parks. That's all I remembered. So I was hungry. I was ravenous for knowledge, and I went on such a search. I met certain people. I applied for certain things. I just kept reading. I would get books. I would buy and I'd just read and I'd read. And I'm, I'm not sure if you've heard of William Cross's theory. He believes that Negroes or black people go through certain phases where at the beginning you, you learn about your history. You're really angry at all white people. The second phase is you start to really come to terms with it. Then the third phase is you come to terms with the world and you understand that racism will always be there, but you can only really learn to empower your people. So from getting that psychological viewpoint, it helped me to understand I knew what education didn't do for me. So I wanted to be able to give to children what I believe education could have done for me and what, and this, and what I've seen it being able to do. From seeing mm. children going out there and being like, sir, thank you for coming. Sir, thank you for this. Sir, thank you. And I'm like, I'm just as young as you. You know what I mean? Um, mm. So that's how my journey of education started. And that's why I reached out to you. Um, and I'm just looking forward to the work I'm going to hopefully be doing with you guys. So I've got a lot of ideas. Um, I've got a lot of boys and girls that I would love to bring on on board as well. Um, especially because I believe we share the same vision. So, yeah, I think that's how my journey of education started. And then seeing people like yourself doing what you're doing, it just reminds me that there's people that want the best for the black community and not all hope is lost. We have to be optimistic. Definitely. Definitely. That's such a beautiful journey. And I think like that point of reckoning with uh, the reality, but also what your passion is, is liberation. Absolutely. And like, it's, it's, yeah, I think from here on, it's just about maintaining those connections and like, yeah, just broadening it out, broadening it out. And uh, yeah, like you're welcome to get involved with the Black Curriculum, of course. Like we'd love to have you on board. So take that as an invitation. Obviously, well, obviously, I'm waiting back for the emails. I've been waiting for a while, you know. Ah. And listen, I've been chasing you. Know. I'm, still, but okay. See, I'm, I'm checking the watch. But yeah, any way that I can help, just let me know. Because um, 
I'm hopefully, well, I'm, I, I've kept this a secret, but hopefully I'm going to be doing a second TEDx talk. So hopefully that's going to come through. Ooh, hopefully, exciting. hopefully. Because my first hopefully. one, I wasn't, I wasn't too happy with. I think there was a lot of work that I needed to do. But again, that's growth, right? So yeah, yeah exactly. but definitely. And it's been really get better. So keep us posted. Like, absolutely. Yeah, that's it's been an enlightening and an empowering and a conversation that's only going to escalate the best of the black community. So I just have to say thank you again. And people, I can see from the comments, are really thankful. But we're going to have a part two at some point. Lavinia and I are going to discuss that because I know you're really busy with the work that you're, going, that you're doing at the moment. So listen, it's, um, it's only up from here. And that's a song by Chris Brown Definitely. and Justin Bieber, actually. <laughs> so, yeah. Up, up, up. Love it. Thank no, you so much. That most definitely. So, yeah, no, anytime you need me, I'm here. And everyone, go and check out Lavinia's work with the Black Curriculum. Doing amazing things. This is a young, powerful sister. And these are the kind of people that we need in our community to want the best for us. So, thank you so much. Welcome. Welcome. Anytime. Anytime. Blessings. I'll Take Always. I'll speak to you soon. All right, then, Sean. Thank right. you. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I look forward to having you again. If you've enjoyed, share, subscribe, follow, and make sure everybody gets to have the blessing that is conversations. And remember, Flower Hour is the podcast where conversations blossom.